Well, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. No? Yeah? Almost? Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks, guys, for being here. Happy Mother's Day to you. So happy that, uh, that you decided to come and hang out at church. Uh, I don't know if you know this, if you're new, but Kesed is a place for people who are spiritually curious or people who are manipulated by their mothers to go to church. We'll take, we'll take both. We love it. So... <laughs> Us, us, uh, us and brunch. Those are the two things you got to do today to make your mom happy. So good for you. Um, we're in a series right now called The Theory of More. And uh, we're just kind of talking about this idea that, that uh, the world has a message that's a little bit different than God's about who we are called to be. Today, um, I have someone very special to share with you. Her name is Brenna Blaine. And uh, Brenna is a speaker that has, has uh, just really got an anointing around this whole idea of how God calls us and the identity that we're supposed to have. And so a couple months back, I met with her and uh, begged her if she would come and do Mother's Day for us because she's kind of a big deal. So it's hard to, it's hard to get her. But, but I, I did. I did because that's my job as the pastor of this church, right? To manipulate other people in order to come and share with you. And I did it and I did it good. So I'm so excited. It's just been a really fun weekend and uh, she's going to share with you guys. But before she comes up, I just want to pray because I recognize that in a room like this, a day like today is complicated at best. Um, you have, first off, some, a lot of excitement in the room. You have moms that have brand new babies. This is their very first Mother's Day. You have uh, moms that uh, had their last child move out, and this is their very first Mother's Day free inside their own home, and they're so excited about that. Um, and you also have a people who, uh, who aren't moms, who have maybe wanted to be moms and struggled in that area, or people that, that chose not to have children and are kind of like, what's my role in a, in a day like this that, that, we, that we talk about motherhood? So we, we want to make sure and recognize all of the space in the room for all of the women in the room, especially for those who have lost their moms. Maybe this is your first Mother's Day without your mother, or it's just another Mother's Day without your mother, and it's a reminder that that, uh, that you're, you're missing that part today. And this place is a safe place to feel all of those feelings and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do to minister to you, uh, and not just the women, but the men in the room as well regarding their own mothers and how they see that role and what they've experienced. And so I just wanna pray and, and kind of open up that space for Brenna then to come and share with us. So would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, Thank you that, that in a room like this, you can meet every single need, that you see the defenses going up, you see the excuses being made, you see the pain that is dragging us down, you see the excitement that we can hardly contain, you see the thankfulness that we have for the way that you've blessed us or the disappointment we have for the things that we feel like we should have. In a room like this, Lord, it is only you that can meet every need and and sit within those spaces with us. I ask God right now for just a continued anointing for Brenna as she comes and shares uh, what God has put on her heart about how you see us and the way that you've called and made us. We just lift this time up to you in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, would you please give a warm Kessed welcome for my friend, Brenna Blaine. Um, I was telling Danny, that on Thursday, 
So I, I, I'm a little bit of an introvert. Well, I'm a lot a bit of an introvert. And my friend got me this sticker that says, I'm trying very hard not to connect with people right now. And I accidentally preached my entire message with that facing <laughs> to everyone. And so making sure to turn it around. Now, um, it's good to be back. Last time I was here, I was eight months pregnant. And now that baby's my second baby. He is eight months old. And so time really flies. Um, I'm excited to be celebrating Mother's Day with you all. I have a picture of me and my mom. I love that picture. Um, my mom's not here because she's mad at me. No, I'm just kidding. She's, she's right there. Um, and something about my mom that I think my siblings could agree with who are here today is that if my mom loves something, she will try her absolute hardest to get us to love it too. So I think that's how um, me and all my siblings actually ended up in musical theater at one point or another. Um, but my mom, my mom would sometimes try to convince us that we love these things in ways that I think she thought were subtle, but that were not subtle at all. And I remember my mom has this fictional author that she just loves. And I would walk into her room like late at night to say goodnight and she would be sobbing. And I'd be like, mom, what's wrong? And she'd be like, it's, it's this book. And I'd be like, okay, okay. Well, um, and, and so there was one book that she read many, many times over and over again. And when I got a little bit older, she started to say, hey, Brenna, I really think you would like this book. And I would say, no, Thank you. Um, I don't think I would like this book. And I would go to bed, and I would wake up in the middle of the night with, like, a pain in my side. And I'd be like, what the heck? And I would, like, lift up my covers, and the book would be in my bed. And she would leave this book around the house in subtle ways to try and get me to read it. And I didn't know much about it. I knew it was a Christian romance-type book. And um, I remember my mom would say, it's based off the book of Hosea. And I thought, yeah, uh, I've never read it. And somehow I escaped all four years of high school, not only not reading this book, but also not really reading the Bible and certainly not reading the prophets. Because I had this perception, one, that the prophets were boring, and two, they had nothing to offer me. And then the book of Hosea completely changed my life. And so today we're going to be looking at Hosea 1, verses 2 through 3, and then we're going to skip to Hosea 3. It says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Skipping to, verse, uh, to chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechath of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the pillar, um, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to know the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. 
For some context, the book of Hosea is an interesting book because there's so much meaning packed into just the six and a half pages that make up our modern Bible today. And with just these six and a half pages, it is important to know that with all things in the Word, that we look at it with the understanding that every single paragraph down to the individual words were God-breathed and not just written to people living in that specific time period, but were also given for you and I here today. Another thing that makes Hosea interesting is that there is not just an abundance of poetic forms like many of the prophets we see in the Bible, but it holds a narrative about Hosea himself that is intertwined within the pages of prophecy that he is giving to Israel. You see, with this, God did not just say, Hosea, here is your calling. I'm going to use your words. But he actually called him to something much more difficult. He said, here's your calling, and also, I will use your life. Right now here at Kesed, you are in the middle of a series called The Theory of More, and if you are like me, you read Hosea, and there's an ache in your heart because you don't identify with Hosea. You don't identify with God. Instead, you see the unfaithfulness and the brokenness and the humanity of Israel and Gomer, and you say, that's more like me. I'm too far gone, or I'm too disobedient, or my favorite, I am too uninterested to even consider taking a seat at the table. Even just being here for some of you might be uncomfortable today, and you're just here because you want to honor your mother or whoever invited you. I had grown up in the church, and after being molested at a young age, I really started wrestling with things that felt deeply unsafe for Christians to wrestle with. I was depressed and suicidal by the time I was a freshman in high school, and I lived much of my life often looking over my shoulder as if to say, God, are you really there? Do you even see me? Or is all this fake? Am I making all of this up in my mind? And I was honestly nervous to tell my parents that I had doubt, so I never wanted to tell them I didn't want to go to church. But I think my parents knew that I was wrestling. And so by the end of eighth grade, they said, Hey, Brenna, we would love for you to be in church. But you don't have to go to the church that we go to. If you find someplace you want to be, that's awesome. We just want you to go somewhere. And somehow... I found a youth group that was like a dream for an Enneagram 4. And if you don't know what an Enneagram 4 is, it's like your moody, individualistic, artistic teenager. And so at this youth group, no one talked about sports. And almost every single person there listened to 94-7 Alternative Portland. It was like the best. And someone there knew that I could play instruments. And so not even... One week after going, I got asked to be on the worship team. And even though singing songs to God I wasn't sure even existed felt odd, it was so much better to me that I had something to do to focus on during worship instead of 
having to think about actually worshiping. Because worship had this overwhelming effect on me. When I would have to sit there, I would see all these people around me singing words of adoration and affection and praise to a God who I felt had let me be abused who had let me get to a place where I no longer wanted to be alive. And it was like everyone around me was in on something, was experiencing a God I never knew without me. And I would just want to scream. And that continued for all four years of my time in high school. I had moments, if you know me, if you've heard my story, where I'd say, okay, God, maybe, maybe you are real, maybe you do care. So I'm, I'm going to give you this little square inch of my life. But the rest of this you can't have. And I, I would gather it all up in my, in my arms, my depression, my anger, my self-image, my doubt, and I would run around to every other thing in this world and say, do you think you could heal me? Do you think you could make me feel seen? Do you think you could make me better? And I look back on this and I see God like, Brenna, just give me a chance. And I would respond back to God, no, you had your chance. So by the time I was 18, I had a lot of practice avoiding God. And I was at the age where I needed to decide what I was going to do next after graduation. So I did what any other person who is running away from God would do, and I decided I would become a missionary. And I thought I was being clever. I was like, okay, I'm going to hide from God right under his nose, and he will never find me. You see, the reason I got here is because I hated school, and so I knew I did not want to go to college. But I loved Hawaii. So I signed up to do this program called Youth with a Mission, also known as YWAM, with the expectation that everyone else there would be just like me, not really bought into the idea of God wanting to do some traveling or to get away or to do some good work. And to be honest, a lot of people there were just like me. And I don't know if we all collectively thought we were tricking our parents or our youth pastors, but at least a handful of us thought we ran so far and so fast away from God that he could never catch up. So I am in Hawaii, and it's about the third morning, and we are in this preliminary free time zone where you could do whatever you wanted before the program actually started. And the only thing that I wanted to do was be at the beach. But I I had no car, and in Hawaii it's quite common to hitchhike, but it was very difficult from where we were living to get a ride into town. And so when they had announced that they were taking some vans into town for a worship morning, I thought... That's it. I'll go. I'll go to the worship thing. I'll pretend to worship. And then I'll hit the beach. So we get to this place where we're going to have worship, and I book it to the back of the room. And I'm just thinking, this is going to be so awkward, but I'll just, like, you know, close my eyes, do this, and get through it, and then I'll, and I'll leave. And, um, you see, I had grown up not really knowing... Um, the Holy Spirit. And I thought YWAM was kind of like Baptist, but it wasn't. So my eyes are closed, and we're singing some song that like everyone knows because it was written in 2007. 
And I know music really well because at this point I had been on worship team for about seven years. And so I know for a fact that there is an instrumental break coming up in this song. Standing in the back, my eyes are closed. Instrumental break comes, and all of a sudden, someone's still singing. And I think, that's embarrassing for them. (laughs) But instead of stopping like you're supposed to do, they keep singing. And then all of a sudden, I hear more voices singing. And then I hear people talking. And at this point, I think, this is the most disrespectful worship thing I have ever been to in my life. And I'm bothered. So by now, I open my eyes. And I had shared, you know, about hating worship. But I open my eyes and I see something that I'd never seen before in my life. I see this girl. She's standing in this corner kind of in front of me. And she's singing her own words of worship. And she's standing like this. And I'm just completely captivated by what's going on. And I start to look around the room, and I see people praying out loud over other people. And I'm thinking, like, okay, no, when you say, hey, I'm praying for you, you, then you leave, and you pray in your brain (laughs) in the car on the way home. You don't pray out loud. But all these people are praying over these people, and then all of a sudden, the girl who's standing over here shouts. And I don't know what it was. But in that moment when she is shouting with her arms up, I remember how every single time I had sat through worship, I just wanted to scream. And now... I'm sitting here, and here's this girl who's embodying all these negative things I had ever felt pent up inside me in a positive way, in her worship. And I lost it. Because I had never seen someone worship with their entire being before. And in that moment, I prayed a prayer I shouldn't have prayed. I said, God, If you are real, if you care for me, if you see me, I want you to let me know. Whatever it takes, because this is the most real thing I have seen in my entire life. And if there's a chance I could have that, because this girl worshiping looked like she was in love if there was a chance that that my angst and my anxiety and my anguish could be set aside and I could know you like that, I want you to do whatever it takes to get me to that place. And for the next entire month of being in the environment, it was like I was watching a movie unfold before my eyes. You see, there were 32 students in my school, so 31, not including myself. And every single day, someone else who is living a life much like mine, suspicious of God at best, just completely melted. And I didn't know what it was or why it was happening, but these people who looked like different versions of myself were starting to confess, I'm in love with Jesus. 
And I was living with them. And so it wasn't just their words that were changing. It was their lives, their personalities, the way that they were interacting with the people around them. They were really deeply, truly being changed. And during that entire month, I went through almost every single prayer and worship session like this. Like, is this really happening? And the more other people around me started to change, the more I had a conversation with myself that went like this. I, I don't think it's going to happen for me. I don't know what they're on. I don't know what's happening for them, but I don't buy it. But I had a problem um, because we were supposed to do Christian things, you know, because we were missionaries. And one of the, th the things we were supposed to do was prepare and preach a 10-minute chapel talk. And so I had signed up for the very last spot available because I didn't want to do it. And I thought if I signed up last, I wouldn't have to do it. But all of a sudden, the day's coming up, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to talk about. So I tried doing that thing where I, like, grabbed my Bible and I was like, okay, God, whatever you want to speak, want me to say, show me now. And then it was always Leviticus, and I was like, that doesn't work. <laughs> and then one day I was sitting there, and something reminded me of the book that my mom was always trying to get me to read. And I thought, if some lady can get an entire romance novel, maybe I can get 10 minutes. So I flipped to Hosea, and I start reading. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. And I thought, wow, that's intense. And I closed my Bible and I walked away. And then something started to happen. Over the next 24 hours, I started to hear a voice say, That's you. That's you. That's you. Here are all these people who have been faithful, who've never struggled with doubt, who've never wanted to die, who've never questioned God's plan for their life. And then there's you, like this adulterous woman towards God. And I can't stop thinking about that. And I don't know if people could tell I was down or if something was wrong, but I like to think it was the Holy Spirit. But I was sitting on the bathroom floor, kind of having a little bit of a meltdown. Because not only were all these people around me experiencing a God I felt like I had never even really known, but now I was aware of how undeeply unfaithful I had been towards God in the first place. And I thought, why would God ever even want to change me? if I never even acted like I really wanted him in the first place. And so I'm sitting on that floor, and I hear footsteps. And they're angry, and they're fast, and they're coming in my direction. And I start to panic because I'm not supposed to be in this bathroom. See, I had shared a bedroom with 17 girls, and I was just trying to get away. So I snuck into the staff bathroom. But the door flies open before I'm able to do anything, and here's this girl. Okay, this girl, this girl was the complete opposite 
of me. She was joyful and she was loud and she loved everyone and she always wanted to hug everyone. And the absolute worst was that she woke up happy. And she flings the door open and I'm thinking, why you? Why is it you? But I don't say anything because I'm just wondering what the heck is about to happen. And she looks at me with some frustration on her face and she says, you are worth it. And I said, what? And she said, I don't know, I was in my room praying, talking to God, and he told me to come find you and tell you, you are worth it. Go finish whatever you were reading. And I wander back into my room confused because I'm not charismatic. And I open up my Bible back to Hosea and I start reading again where I left off and eventually I get to Hosea 3. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lake chest of barley, and I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So also I will be to you. For the, pil- for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or sal- household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come to fear the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And as I read those words... I began to weep. And I hear a voice for the first time say, if that's you, then who am I? If, if this story, if you are the woman, if you are like Israel, then who am I? And as I said earlier, there's so much depth packed into the book of Hosea that not just every sentence, but every word means something. And the literal meaning of Hosea, the root of that name means to save, to deliver. Here is a woman who has said to Hosea, I'm yours. I'm here. And Hosea, knowing because of what God spoke to him, that her promise would be faulty, still enters into a covenant relationship with her, much like God has willingly entered a covenant relationship with us, an unfaithful people. And much like us, so much like me after time, not really feeling like I was getting what I thought I ought to get from God, this woman leaves her husband and goes into town with a mission of unfaithfulness, probably hoping that something else would meet her needs, that something else would make her happy, would give her what she felt she needed. All the while, she must also be wondering, does he even see me? Does he even care that I've gone? Such a mix of unhealthy but real feelings that so many of us have felt about the God of the universe. I don't care, but does he? I don't want to be faithful, but will he? And the reality is that this took place far after Deuteronomy, so Hosea could have rightfully divorced his wife, and this must have been something that was on both of their minds. But God speaks to Hosea, 
and says this, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. You see, some of you here in this room know the pain, the real pain that unfaithfulness causes in the midst of a covenant relationship. And so hearing this story feels unfathomable. Even more so is that a God who has never sinned against us has the sole right to walk away. And yet, watch what he does. Hosea tells us, so I bought her. This gives us an insight into the view of women at this time. By many cultures, women were viewed as property, but not by God. And as an aside, if you do a study through the language of Hebrews in the book of Leviticus, you will see the great love and care that God has for women and oppressed people. But the interesting thing was that because of the culture and the understanding and the view of women, if Hosea would have gone into town and said, she's my wife, he could have rightfully taken her. She would have been seen as his. He literally could have gone into town and said, this is mine. But not only does Hosea want to bring his wife home in an act of redemption, he wants to make something abundantly clear to her in the language and the action of this time. He wants her to know, you are worth it. So he sacrifices And as we read this, as we hear this story, are are we able to see the story within the story? The narrative of Hosea is not just a beautiful story of faithfulness, but it is a wild foreshadowing to the Israelites of the Savior who is going to come, of Christ on the cross. We, being God's creation, we are his to begin with, and yet he has given us agency to make choices, the choices we make. And if we want to be unfaithful, he doesn't keep us locked up as property, but he allows us to leave. And yet, even after we have left, he pursues us, not in anger, not as a tyrant, not as the owner of our souls, even though with the snap of his fingers he could demand that we come home. He chooses to come after us in an act of ultimate sacrifice. To buy what was already his, God sends his only son to die in our place. And through that, he is able to look at you and I and say, you are worth it. Come home. If Gomer is Israel, if, if we are Gomer and if we are Israel, God is our faithful Savior. And it was in that moment when I read through that that I looked back at every single thing that happened in my life, every time I ran from God, every time I felt like he left me alone, every time I wondered if he saw me, I realized I have been relentlessly pursued. You in this room sitting here have been relentlessly pursued. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter the things you've said because the one who is and was and always will be faithful is the one who has bought you for a price and named you and called you and has brought you here. 
And I know the reality is that some of you are sitting in this room and you're thinking, that's great for someone else, but it's not true for me. And I have to stop and say, if you're thinking that, if you're feeling that, if you're wrestling with that feeling, I think maybe that's a sign. Because I texted Danny a few hundred times saying, I think I'm going to preach this. I think I'm going to say this. I think I'm going to talk about this. And then eventually God said, nope. I want you to delete everything you wrote, and I want you to share this. Because someone in that room needs it. I think God wants to meet with you, and I hope he's using this right now as the girl bursting through the door saying, you are worth it. Because think about the chances of you being in this room. Maybe you're thinking, but I am unfaithful. Yes. Maybe you're thinking, I have been hurt and I have hurt others. Yes. Maybe you're thinking, I'm constantly running away. Yes. But the pi- what is the picture that God has painted for us? It is this. Whether it is the idolatry of the Israelites or the adultery of Gomer, our heart's sinful condition is to wander far from God. But God's promise to us we find in Hosea 2. God says, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God's promise to every single person sitting in this room hearing these words is his love, his compassion, but most significantly is his faithfulness. And with that, by no feet of our own strength, but only through his sacrifice, he looks at us and declares us worthy of being brought home to him. So I know maybe some of us are sitting here thinking, how do I respond to this? What am I supposed to do in the face of this reality? There's a song we're about to sing that I think many of you in this room have probably sung hundreds of times before. And maybe some of you have never heard it in your life. But there's a line that says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. And as Chandra plays this song, I want to give you permission either to worship or to just listen, but if you have not made the choice to willingly go back home with God, why not now? Why not now? And if you're sitting here and you have made that choice, would today, while we listen to this song, be a reminder to look back and celebrate God's faithfulness to you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you relentlessly pursue us, for the way that you interrupt our lives to get our attention back on you. God, I thank you for the sacrifice 
of your son that made a way so that all of us could turn back and orient ourselves towards you. I pray for whatever decisions in this room that need to be made, would they be made this morning in joy and in full confidence that your blood covers our sins and that we are seen as fully yours, fully worth it. Lord, for those in this room that need rest, would you just be near to them? Amen. Um, a, a common theme in my story was my mom bugging me, right? Bugging me about this book, bugging me to go to church. And maybe one of you in this room has someone that you are supposed to bug. I, don't, I know bug sounds like a, a funny word, but I know for a fact that my mom has prayed faithful, faithfully for me so much that, that that's a huge reason why I'm in this room. And so there is someone that you are supposed to be faithful to in prayer or in deed or in word. And I want this to be an encouragement to you that you would do that today. Daily, I 
stand with me Heavenly Father on this Mother's Day may we reflect upon the way that you have loved us the way that you have been the greatest example of a mother's love the way that you have followed us even into the darkest areas of our life I pray today Lord that in this room you would find us that you would not just leave us here, but go with us wherever we go as we continue to try to learn more about you, be more like you, and spread the love that you've shown us. We are grateful for the story that you're telling through our lives. We just lift it all up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. God bless, and I hope you have a happy Mother's Day.